Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. Not to get too complicated, but feelings is our experience of our emotions. I'll read a quote that I've got on my other monitor here. Emotions are the raw data, a reaction to the present reality. Whereas feelings can be diluted by stories we've created in our head based on events of the past or fears of the future, not necessarily the truth of the situation. Al Karim, what are you writing there? Let's see. Feelings are the precursor to our actions. Based on how we feel, based on emotions, we choose our actions. And that is a true statement. Our emotions, our feelings, which the interpretations of those emotions have a direct impact on everything we do. A direct impact on how we're doing in the moment, how we're, how we're reacting to various situations and how, and sort of even our mood, if you will, through the day. How about we open this conversation up to others? What we asked the question this morning about what is that one word you're feeling? Where is that coming from? Is that coming from an actual experience that you had, or are you just waking up that way? Or are you creating the day that way? Let's talk about it. I think it's easier if you have the emotional bandwidth. Like if you're already exhausted and you're already emotionally fried and that one thing goes wrong, then you're going to snap and lose your shit. But I think you're able to sort of rein it in and pull yourself back in if you have that bandwidth and you're like, oh, okay, whatever. And so yes and no. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So the, then, the, then the work is understanding your emotional bandwidth and managing that so you can manage your feelings. Yeah. And that's where you start to like notice like, oh, I'm becoming emotionally drained. You know, when you start like snapping at people and things like that. And so it doesn't get to you like screaming at somebody at the grocery store or whatever, like that kind of thing, which we see all the time nowadays. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you just mentioned uh, state is what this is, right? So it's what is our state? Because our state comes into play in how we handle our emotions. And the state can be, like you said, emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted the physiological aspect of how we handle and how we deal with our emotions, the, the raw data, right? We all put on a little bit of a facade. How you doing? I'm doing great. Really? Come on. The interesting thing here is it's, it's a tough question, right? It's a tough conversation. And many of us, and I'm not saying this in this session necessarily, but just by and large, a general population statement is many people don't really have, they're not really in touch with their emotions. It's hard to really pinpoint what the actual emotions are and why this is important is as we increase our self-awareness and emotional intelligence is because it, we can learn to identify our emotions and have those emotions inform our decisions and our actions, as opposed to being driven by those emotions into decisions and actions that we may regret later or may not be the optimal in, uh, in whatever the situation may be. So learning to identify what are the true emotions, the raw data is, and then starting to really ask questions about, well, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? 
like you're in a conversation and you suddenly feel disrespected. Well, disrespected is not necessarily an emotion, but it's definitely a feeling. So what's the emotion underneath that disrespect? And what's the narrative that's allowing you to feel disrespected? And in understanding that, then now you can process it and you can decide, well, maybe it wasn't intentional. Maybe it's not something I need to react to, you know, whatever the situation. Hey, Kevin, can you like go a little deeper on what you were just saying? Like you're in a conversation, you feel disrespected. And then what is the underlying emotion? So where would one go to, I guess, figuring out where that emotion comes from? is really that surface, right? Like, I feel disrespected. Now you go dig deeper. Great question, Vera. And I just dropped into the chat window our emotions wheel exercise. Feel free to use that. And so somebody asked me a question last week in one of our leadership development cohorts that we're doing for clients, and it caught me off guard. And I felt really flustered because I, I felt like they challenged something I said and I didn't have, I didn't have an answer. And I was like scrambling. It's like, wait a minute. I don't know. I, let me process this question. And I had to uh, really go back because flustered was the first thing that came to mind. And then I went back to this wheel and I started looking at the wheel and surprise was the raw emotion. I was surprised by the question. And as I looked further into the, uh, the, the surprise category, I realized that what I was really, what the emotion was for me was really uh, shock and then dismay. Uh, and that was dismay because I realized that I was unprepared for the question. And so it was a little bit of a, a raw emotion for me. It was like, oh yeah, I don't like that feeling. And the feeling that the, the narrative could have been you know, it could have led all the way to shame if I wanted to, you know, because, oh man, I'm supposed to know that answer. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't prepared and what a, well, you know, what a fool. Of course I'm exaggerating because it's, it wasn't that big of a question or that big of a problem, but it, you know, I went from, I'm feeling flustered to going, okay, what's the raw emotion? The raw emotion really was some dismay for me, some shock for me. And then the narrative was I'm flustered. So what do I do with that? So I realized, okay, now I don't have to be flustered. I don't have to be embarrassed. I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to feel, you know, any of those other narratives added to this. I can just realize, you know what? I was shocked. I processed the question later. Uh, I recognized the, the error, if you will, in my, uh, response. And so I went back and was able to basically share that and say, Hey, yeah, guess what? Now you've seen my humanity. Because I erred in my response, right? Not a big deal. No shame, no guilt, but helping me to understand the emotion, the, the raw emotion was allowed that dialogue to go on. And more importantly, getting out of the feelings and the raw emotions, the whole, you know, the real concept here is being able to force yourself into this process and not just be driven by the feeling. Because if you're feeling disrespected, going back to my example, Vera, what would you normally do if you're feeling disrespected? What kind of reaction might you normally have if you're not processing all of what you're feeling and all of what's going on, right? 
so this gives you the opportunity to get out of what Daniel Kahneman calls system one, that automatic process and kick into system two, which is that rational thinking, critical thinking process. And that's what the wheel does for you. And then honing in and learning your emotions, learning and understanding those emotions. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I want to go back to what Christian has just said as well, because you actually had the emotional bandwidth and the time as well as being able to talk it through with me after. Mm -hmm. So there's that support, the bandwidth, the awareness to get through it all. So it's a practice. It's not going to happen overnight. You can't just look at this wheel and say, okay, I'm going to be aware and it's going to happen. It's a practice. And it's that emotional bandwidth that we're working, emotional awareness, the self-awareness that you're actually going there. A lot of us don't even know we're in that spot until all hell breaks loose. And we just need to understand that we're going there, we're feeling something. And how do you know that? It could be a physical change in your body, your hands to get clammy, your stomach to get knotted up, your face to get red, whatever that is, just understanding you're going somewhere. And then just say, okay, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere. That's the first step. And then maybe look at the wheel, then maybe look at really highlighting what the emotions are and then work it backwards. And then have somebody talk to three if you need to. That's objective. Mm -hmm. Just don't go to your partner and say, I'm feeling something about you right now. I'm not sure what it is, but you caused it all. Well, it's that doesn't work out very well. It doesn't. Trust me. This is never about what other people do or say. This is always about how you interpret that and but react. Heaven, they made me feel this way. You're making me feel really angry by you saying that. <laughs> no, you can't make me angry, Licky. I can only allow myself to get angry. But I'm going to. I choose. My, I'm. I'm trying really hard to make you angry. Well, good luck. Good luck. I, I went and saw Kelser about my anger issues 30 years ago, and I have not had to go back. <laughs> I just decided to stay angry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So Kelly, I'm sorry you made me feel this way. Uh, what, what's right? coming up for others here in this conversation? So the Becky is a lot of how you're feeling and how you're responding based on just that situation, or is it based on your past experiences and you're already going into judgment before you actually even get to that emotion? Oh yeah, uh, for sure. And that's a, that's a great observation, the uh, Most of our feelings, it's not an absolute, so I'm going to say most. Some, some of the times our feelings are based on our past experiences especially when things like judgment and blame come into place, right? And somebody is just talking and there's no blaming from their perspective, but the way you take it is blame. And then you start feeling something, they start feeling something, and it just goes in the spiral. Being aware of your blind spots, being aware of all of these uh, reactions that you have to this is a part of this conversation. Understanding you went there. Okay, when you say that, I'm actually going into this and it's actually happening from based on my past experience. Wonderful. That's great. Be aware you're going there and then work out a system and retrain and rewire your, your mind to not go there anymore. Because if it's the past, why is it coming up? It hasn't been dealt with. And short answer is yes and yes, right? So, you know, our feelings are that narrative on top of the emotions that uh, those, and those narratives oftentimes have a long history behind them. And uh, sometimes it's just a knee jerk reaction that has very little narrative and you just react to something that 
catches you off guard, triggers you, whatever, and you don't realize it uh, until you get a chance to really process it. And then you, then you begin to go, huh, what was that about? You know, maybe there is a narrative in my head that I've got to deal with. Yeah. When you look at that wheel, by the way, probably the easiest way to, to understand and start applying the wheel is in the anger category. A lot of times we may feel angry. You know, if we, if somebody asks us, you know, if something triggered us, some event, some conversation, uh, we may say we're angry, but take a look at the wheel when you feel that type of emotion and, and look and see if it's truly just anger, that primary emotion, which the inside of the wheel is the primary emotions. Uh, and depending on the psych, the school of thought and psychology, there's anywhere from four to I've seen as many as 11 primary emotions depends on again, the school of thought, but are you really angry or maybe just a little indignant, right? Are you really angry or are you actually furious or feeling rage? You know, uh, what's the intensity level of your anger? Because the more you can understand, the more you can really isolate and get away from just the primary emotions, the better off you're able to manage and, and understand what's going on, how you got to this place, what the triggers are. And then even, you know, make a plan for the next time it's going to happen, right? So you begin to understand, oh my gosh, okay, I'm feeling absolutely resentful. Instead of just angry, I'm feeling resentful. And why am I feeling resentful? Why did this situation come up and it caused me to, again, experience this resentfulness? Can I change the situation? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe one of the ways that you change the uh, a situation, keep yourself from going that path is avoid it. That's, that's a possibility. There are times where you have to avoid something to not get to a place of rage or furious or whatever. Other times it's just an informing. It's like, okay, how, how do I better handle this type of situation when it happens again? Well, when it happens again, maybe I, I just pause, maybe I process, maybe I take time, maybe I go for a walk. Maybe I, you know, there's a lot of ways to do things right. But being able to understand what the emotion is will help you make those kind of decisions. And why is this important? If it's not already self-evident, just it's all about relationships, right? At work, outside of work. And if we can better manage our emotions and how we react to situations that come across uh, our path, then we can take the choice to be a better version of ourselves. We can't control other people's situation. We can't control how they handle themselves, but we can definitely, you know, have better control of how we handle our, ourselves. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. It's something that a different way I've kind of heard of that is by, by taking that breath and taking that time to self-reflect, it allows you to respond rather than react. Like the difference between responding and reacting to something. Absolutely. Good, Graham. Thanks, Graham. And that goes back to Kevin, our STP model, right? Mm -hmm. Stop, think, and then proceed. Absolutely. STP, that, you know, high performance 
engine additive works for humans. <laughs> Just don't drink it. Stop temporarily, think deeply, and then proceed deliberately. And that deeply can be a split second. Sometimes is all you need to get out of the automation. And uh, sometimes it takes a week. <laughs> sometimes it takes a while for you to really, you know, process it. One of our clients was just sharing that very thing, right? Um, she was at a, an event. She felt mistreated by the person sitting next to her. And she stewed on that, took her the whole week to really process through that. In, in fact, to the point where we all helped her process it uh, in the group, right? So sometimes it takes a while. If the more you learn to think about things and the process, the more self-aware, more emotionally intelligent you become. As I've gone through this journey for myself, what I've been doing is just stopping, period. Just, I know something's happening. I don't even know what it is. I just take a deep breath and just let it just sit there. I don't even think about what I'm dealing with or fo focusing on. Just breathe it out. And then if I can react to it, I won't. Think about it a little later. Because sometimes there's things happening so fast that you want to react. That was my automatic reaction before, automatic response is, let me just react to that because I need to. Now I just don't. I just breathe, breathe it out and see what happens. And if I have the time to think about it, I will. If not, breathe it out, deal with it later. Let me ask all of you, like, let's collectively uh, come up with some great ideas here. When you feel an emotion that is triggering you, and it's an emotion that you don't really, that's not going to be helpful for you. Like, it's not a positive, super excited high or something. How do you deal with it? What kind of tools do you employ for yourself? You know, we can come up with a whole list of ideas right now. And all of us, every single one of us, looking myself as well, every one of us, will still fall short of applying these tools at different times. That's just called humanity, right? So who's first? Alcrim, you got your hands up. What, what tool do you use? I have an acronym that I use. It's called TKN. Answering my question yourself, is it true? Is it kind? So whether you have to respond or the other person is saying it, whatever the case may be, and is it necessary to respond? So is it true or is it kind? Is it necessary? You know, pass it to three gates of speech. And before you say anything or before you respond, if it checks all three of them, it can't check one or the other. It has to check all three, then respond. So it's TCAN regarding your response. Is it true? Is it kind? And is a response necessary? That's good. Who else? Who's next? What do you do when you get triggered, if you will? Um, I would say I check in with ever since well one of the game changers for me was figuring out my personal values and so like two of them for example are integrity and disrespect and so those are like immediate triggers for me and so that's something and like fairness and so those are like three of my big triggers makes sense why growing up everyone was like you should have been a judge like, yeah i should have been <laughs> and so that like so like ever since having now I have like a checklist where it's like wait um is it one of those because we're five everybody has like five or six and so then it's like wait I'm feeling one of those getting triggered okay I know this is the danger zone and so then it becomes easier to sort of examine yourself from like a bird's eye view of like wait 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 I know that this is like a high intense emotion and so that allows me to it doesn't happen all the time but it allows me to be able to sort of look at myself 
as more of like a clinical, okay, like let's talk yourself down from this. Like let's do some self-soothing, like whatever that might be, depending on the situation. But getting clear on like my five triggers was one of the biggest, most useful things because then you're not just like, oh my God, what is this? What's going on? So it allows you to have that like quick clarity when you're feeling that emotional volatility. So maybe be useful for others. Uh, that's great, Kirsten. You, you said something, you just said two words that, and you used them interchangeably and it, it's intriguing to me. First, you said you identified your values and then you said you identify your triggers. Are you, are you, are they together? Are you saying that when those values are crossed, that's the trigger? Yeah. Like if I feel like disrespected by somebody, then it's like, oh, well, I know why that's such a big reaction internally is because that's one of my core values. And so, because before it'd be like, why is this such a big deal when, you know, it really is the biggest thing in the world, but it's like, oh, oh, because that's one of my core values. And so that, so, and, but that's a little way for me to, when I'm in my integrity is when I'm not crossing those core values. And so that also allows me to not feel shitty about myself is knowing that like, oh, it might be great at the moment, but that's ultimately disrespectful to somebody else. And when later on, I'm going to feel bad about that. And so I don't want to cross my integrity by messing around with my values in that sense. So it's kind of twofold on that front. Nice. Yeah. I, I like that. It's, that is a, a way your value is being compromised. The other way that your emotions get compromised is when your limiting beliefs get attacked, right? I'm not good enough or rejection or whatever that is that comes in, into play. And then your emotions started getting heightened as well. So the two total opposite ends, right? Values, limiting beliefs, and everything in between is an emotion as well. It's being aware of it. Yeah. Anybody else want to share how they'd manage an emotion? Any tips and tricks that we can all learn by? Uh, I think something I do sometimes is um, just naming it. Like if I notice I'm feeling really frustrated or angry, just naming it helps put it out there and acknowledging it can get, get rid of some of the internal resistance again it, against it um, and kind of lets you have awareness and, and just bring that out into the open also. Just saying like, I'm feeling really frustrated now, right now because... Um, I don't think you care about what I'm saying because you keep interrupting or just like just getting my feelings out there so that we can I can move on past that. That's awesome, Graham. Yeah. I, I was gonna actually say something similar to that. I was like just saying to yourself, I'm getting angry. And just know that you're getting angry. That's the first thing. That's the awareness part, right? And now you can deal with the rest. Uh perfect. Thanks, Graham. I'm waiting for a mic drop moment for Mr. Mark Gordon. Like I'm literally, he's been so quiet today. I'm surprised. I'm trying to learn from everyone else. So <laughs> you, you've all covered it really well. For me, you know, anger is a secondary emotion. So I, I always see a, an emotional thing as an invitation. So I get curious. So I just, why did I react that way? What's going on beneath the surface? And it, it in, invites me to go deeper into understanding myself. And so in the moment though, uh, it's hard, you know, you don't start there. In the moment, I, I use two things. One is uh, ask a question. Our brains are wired. The primal part of our brain is back here. And there's uh, the amygdala is at the top of the primal brain. It stores the emotions that you felt with a certain uh, memory. And so a lot of times when our 
when we're triggered emotionally, it kind of sends a message to the neurocortex in the middle and it kind of, it, it'll release either adrenaline. If it's a negative emotion, it'll uh, release adrenaline, fight or flight comes up. And it's like a snow globe being shaken. If you can picture that your, your thoughts are all over the place. It's really hard to capture them. So what you want to do in that moment is activate your prefrontal cortex. So that's what you do. You activate it by asking yourself a big question. Is this emotion helping me or is it harming me? Or what do I need to do right now to be okay? And so that is the start of it. And then I go deeper into the curiosity. Why did I react that way? And so when you ask questions, you're activating the prefrontal cortex. What that does is it sends a message back to the neurocortex says, Hey, we're figuring this out. Just let the primal part know that we're okay. So it kind of releases dopamine and it just says, Hey, primal, stand by. We're okay. Because the primal part of your brain is designed to protect you, not harm you. It protects you because it tells you when there's danger, but it needs to be managed. So that's what I do. I ask a question or many questions. And by the way, when it's someone else, I get curious, why are they feeling that way? Why are they coming at me like this? There must be something going on in their life. And so instead of reacting to them, I'm taking a curiosity position and I'll ask them a question and try to seek understanding. And it diffuses the situation. I would say making statements escalates, asking questions de-escalates. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of things that I do that help me. Change your mind, change your life. Yeah, I love that. And um, for any of you who want an incredible book, um, Mr. Mark Gordon's written this Relationship Matters. Grab it on Amazon. He's done a great job on it. Fostering relationships for ha families and all relationships. We learn lots from it. Thanks, Slicky. Yeah, no worries. You touched on, uh, Mark, you touched on um, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex and such, the, the evolutionary side of our thinking and, uh, and there's, there's a bias called the negativity bias and we all deal with it and it's there to protect us. As you mentioned, it's why it's why it's easier for many people. And some people you've seen, you know, those people that are no matter what, they're like always the glasses half full. They, you can't shake them. They're positive in every way. Sometimes you think they're not even being real. Maybe they're delusional, who knows, but generally speaking, most of us it's easier for us to go to that negative place. It's easier to, to go there because again, it's, it's the protect us. What's the danger? What do, what do I need to be aware of? What do I need to watch out for? Right. And so part of this exercise of really understanding and, and challenging our emotions, especially when they're negative emotions, they're not positive is to recognize, first of all, that we're going there, that we're thinking in terms of that, and then really to kick yourself, like Mark said, to, you know, start asking questions and get out of that automatic processing, right? Easier said than done. Like you made a comment earlier. You said, can you switch like that? And the answer is yes and no, <laughs> right? We can learn more and more as time goes on. And as we practice, we can learn to switch gears and take a negative emotion and, and go to a positive place. We can learn that. We can actually rewire our brains to combat the negativity bias, but it takes a lot of practice. So at first, you know, if you're just starting out this process of, you know, becoming more and more aware in the moments, 
staying, you know, mindful of what's going on in your, in your physical body, your emotions, everything else, then it's, it's harder to switch gears just like that. And that's why these tools, like taking a breath, you know, some people count to 10, you know, before they react, uh, you, you start asking questions, whatever your tool is, it just takes time. Like anything else, it's a muscle memory that we have to build when it comes to really understanding ourselves and then beginning to understand as Mark brought up the emotions of others. And that's, that's the foundation of EQ, right? Understanding your emotions and the emotions of others. Yeah, Mark, it, you would say it, something? Yeah. Cause it's, you're developing your neuroplasticity, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're creating new highways in your brain on how you want to react to things. That's why planning ahead recognizing, Hey, what went wrong there? Why did that happen? And then you can say next time I'm going to react this way. And you might not, but you do it again and again. And until you actually are starting to do it, you train your brain, you, your brain's been trained from childhood to think the way it thinks. So it, it means that it is trainable. You just need to put, give it new information, right? Uh, somebody said, fake it till you make it. I always say, declare it until you believe it. Don't fake it till you make it because that's a facade, but you can declare something hoping for the best. You can declare it until you actually believe it. Uh -huh. Yeah. There's a lot of truth in that. Uh, Mark, have you read Carolyn Leaf's, uh, books? Carolyn Leaf is a, uh, psychologist and one of the, and she's also, uh, she focuses on neuroscience. And, uh, one of the things that she says in this rewiring process is just what Mark just said in a different way is we don't recognize the power of our words. That's right. You know, it's like, you know, you can't create something that doesn't exist just because you say it, like, I'm not going to say, well, I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow and it's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Unless I happen to buy the right lottery ticket. Um, but we can say, you know what, all of my words, I can watch my words and I can speak positive you know, things I can change those limiting beliefs and my narrative, you know, the narratives in my brain, I can change those things. And the words I use that I hear continue this reinforcement loop. One of the other techniques in, uh, this idea of neuroplasticity is to, when you find yourself going to that negative place, then stop immediately and then think of something you're grateful for. And then ponder that gratefulness for 15 seconds. And that sounds easier than it actually is. So try it and trust me. <laughs> Simple not you. Your mind will wander. You'll, it'll be hard to, to stay in that grateful spot for 15 seconds. But the neuroscience of that is doing that is a, it's a long-term process, but doing that actually begins to, you know, reroute those, you know, the synapses and rewire your brain against that negativity bias. And you can start actually becoming more grateful, more positive as a, as a human being. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now back to the program. Something that I'd like to add that I've really appreciated in a lot of these ideas of, of working with it and um, is the, the curiosity and the, I, I guess, acknowledging the feelings. 
And I, I guess I wanted to name that there is a difference between that and suppressing them. Like it's the there's a lot of this acknowledgement that there is value and there's a reason these feelings come up for us. And it's the behavior that we're wanting to modify. It's it's not that they're necessarily bad and we want to suppress the feelings. It's that we want to control our behavior and what comes from it. And that's something that I've had to work on in bringing some feelings back because long mm. ago, getting used to suppressing them and not feeling them at all. And I guess it also comes up a little bit for me just in that that last one you mentioned, Kevin, is to be careful if you haven't experienced it, if if you've had that kind of history, to not use the gratitude as a way of to suppress those feelings and not connect to them. But if you're still able to recognize the value of them and help you move through them, that's great. But you want to be careful to not use it as a way to avoid feelings and, and avoid having feelings at all. Now, yeah, well put, well put. That's great. That's great. And Graham, uh, that brings up a point. Kevin and I were talking about this yesterday is that I was having a conversation with somebody and, you know, I asked, what are you feeling? And all I got back was a replay of what happened as opposed to the actual feeling. And I asked again, so tell me exactly how are you feeling about this? And I just got a deeper replay of what was going on. And I'm, I was blown away and I sat back and I said, I, I didn't say this out loud, but I, I, inside I said, this person does not know how to express feelings. All they know how to do is replay what's actually happening and happening and happening. And that's their way of expressing their feelings. And then they just can't move forward. And I was blown away with that. And I told Kevin this and Kevin goes, you're surprised? And I said, yeah, I'm actually surprised. And he goes, no, that's normal. And I guess I've just been blinded by that because we teach this so often that it's just part of what we do. But I've never experienced it that way until I started looking for it. So just keep that in mind. When you're in a relationship or in a conversation with somebody and you're looking for a feelings word or even for yourself, and all you're doing is replaying what's actually happened, it's not expressing it. You're going to go deeper into a spiral at that point. Well, you also keep reliving it. So you're getting more and, more and more angry because you keep re repeating what happened. It reinforces it in your mind. that whatever, And so it's actually reinforcing that feeling which you're not identifying. So it makes it even worse. You're, you're not only blind to it, but it's getting thicker, it's getting thicker and thicker. Absolutely. Yeah, and Graham, something that you said, one of the keys in this whole exercise of really beginning to understand our own emotions and feelings is to be able to accept all of those emotions and feelings without judgment. And that's hard to do. Uh, Licky and I were playing a game with this wheel the other day and, and, uh, I said, Licky, you know, which of these emotions, which of these primary emotions would you go to more often than others? And I was looking at it for the same reason. I was going to try to answer the same question. And I thought, and that's a hard question to answer because I felt if I answer it, there's going to be judgment with it. My own judgment. Like, I don't want to, you know, like if I were to say like, yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical. So that's in the anger category. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be known as angry. I don't want to be known as that. So there's that judgment. But if I'm just, if I'm literally, there's an emotion of skepticism, then I just need to accept it and recognize it and then deal with it. I don't want to be cynical, so I'll just monitor it, right? But yeah, accepting our emotions without judgment, because we're always we can tend to be hard on ourselves. 
And this is a really great reason why sometimes we just want to suppress them, right? I don't want to acknowledge that. That makes me a bad person. That tax my self-esteem, my, my self-worth. No, no, it's just a raw emotion. We all have a raw emotion. Let's just accept it and deal with it. Vera, it looks like you wanted to say something. It's interesting you say that because it makes me think that we're striving to be that perfect person. Because if you turn it around and you would say, you know, I'm strong and confident and such, you probably wouldn't even think like, oh, well, I don't want to be known as strong and confident, <laughs> right? So, yeah, I mean, that's why I said I use that kind of stuff in conversations with my kids who are grown, but they also feel that they're not allowed to feel a certain way. And I think then the next step is like, if I allow to, you know, to have those feelings, to express those feelings, they don't know what the solution is, but they, it's really fuzzy for them. So that's where, you know, I see that they get stuck. So, and so I have to tell them, it's like, no, you can feel all these things. It's okay. But then, you know, just stop and think and realize what is going on in your head. You know, take, take a breath, you know, go for a walk, whatever it would be that works for them. But it's so painful to see in my kids. It's like, they, they say, well, I can't feel that way. It's like, yes, you can. So, and I mean, I, I, you know, it's like what Mark said, like, then I start asking why, why is it that my kid even thinks that they cannot feel that way? Who taught him that? Well, yeah, you bring up, uh, you bring up a bigger picture, which we all deal with, which is the social stigma mm-hmm. and social norms and acceptance of, you know, what's put on us about how we are supposed to feel. Right. And how we're supposed to, you know, emote. And yet I would say like over the last, you know, numbers of decades that, you know, emotional intelligence uh, has been studied and now it's been, you know, there's so much research behind neuroscience and emotional intelligence and everything else that we're, we're maybe making headway into the fact that, you know what, we we can actually be human. It's okay. (laughs) We don't have to put on the facade. And, uh, and I know for my generation, the younger generation is demanding it. You know, the, the, the older, the boomers are, you know, notorious for putting on the facade, not showing their true emotions to, to ignoring their emotions or covering them up. And I know the younger generation, you know, my kids are in their early thirties, late twenties, early thirties. Um, and they're demanding it. It's like, we see your BS get real. Would you like show us your humanity? And that's what your people are. If you're in leadership, if you're at work, your people want to see your humanity. They don't want to see the stuffed shirt, the facade, and they'll accept you and actually trust you and have greater respect for you when you show your true humanity. And that is getting in touch with your emotions and being okay with those emotions and then dealing with them appropriately and even apologizing when necessary. Like, yep, that emotion or that feeling got the best of me and I apologize and I'm working on it. Oh, that's cool. I think in relationship also, you know, in our attempt, uh, like I love your heart, Vera, like in our attempt to make others feel better, we deny their ability to actually feel that emotion and understand it. We want our kids to feel that emotion. It's okay to feel that emotion, but then process it with them as to why they feel that emotion. Then they learn how next time to actually they recognize it quicker and they know how, what to do next time. We want to teach 
our kids how to make good decisions, not make decisions for them or not let them feel any pain. Because in our attempt to have them not feel any pain because we feel bad for them, even a coworker or someone else, if we feel sorry for them, I always say, pity does not demand a response, compassion does, right? So if we just feel bad for somebody, sometimes you serve their ability to just feel that emotion and understand it. And we make it that it's not okay to actually have emotions. And we are emotional beings. And the problem is if you try to help somebody shut off their negative emotion, they shut off the good ones too. You can't pick and choose which ones you turn off, off and on. You actually turn them all off if you turn them off. Try to not to feel pain, then you don't, um, you turn off the good ones too. Uh, we want to make sure that we sit with people in their pain, in their emotion, and know that there's somebody there. Even if you say nothing, you can just sit with them in it, acknowledge it. I can see you're upset, but let's just sit in it for a minute. And then when they've calmed down, or you could ask them a couple of questions, you'll activate their prefrontal cortex. Now you can kind of start to debrief it with them and help them navigate through it. Next time they may not need you. They've figured it out. It's a great thought, Mark. And uh, let me juxtapose that. You, you alluded to this as well, but imagine that kind of a safe environment in the workplace. Mm -hmm. That's your job. If you're in leadership, your job is to create that psychological safety, that safe zone where people can feel like, you know what, I can, I can just be me. I can be raw and, and naked here and know that you're going to, you know, have compassion. You're going to work help me work through it, or you're going to at least allow me to emote without reprisal, assuming that I don't do it in the wrong and inappropriate or violent way. <laughs> right. But give, give me safety to say, you know what, I'm just, this is what I'm feeling. It's like, oh, okay, well, I pre let's work through that. Is there a risk of it being shown as a sign of weakness? Because most people as leaders, you sort of create that facade around you that you're strong, you know, that it's emotions on body, because you want to come out as a strong leader. Is there a risk that if you start being that, that you will not be a stronger leader? That's a great question, Al Karim, and that is, that is the myth of leadership. You nailed it. And yes, uh, Brene Brown speaks right to that in her book, Dare to Lead. I would highly recommend it. I think I'm through my fourth version of her audio book. A great, great book. But that is the myth. That's the myth of leadership is that you have to have a facade and be tough and you know nothing phases you and that's the only way you can lead. It's but that's not what people want. They they see right through the bull. They the hands yeah, uh, I'll I'll share something with you. And Kevin and I were facilitating a workshop yesterday and something was off. Something was going not right. And we felt this for the last couple of sessions with them. And we made the decision to get vulnerable and just ask the question to say, are we doing something wrong? We're feeling that we're not doing the job right. If something we're not, not getting engagement. Yeah. We're not getting engagement. What is going on? So we want to know. And then we finally heard the feedback, but one person caught up and said, thank you for being vulnerable and showing your humanity to us. That shifted that session. She actually even said the word, she goes, it causes me to trust you guys even more now. Yeah. Right. Because we decided to be vulnerable. It's like, Hey, we might've been doing things wrong. I mean, we're in the position of authority in the group, but that doesn't mean that we're not human. We're not going to make mistakes. Yeah. So yeah, I would challenge you, Al Karim. Thanks for sharing that. Like, yeah, I would challenge 
your comment, not you, I challenge your comment for everybody's benefit. Anywhere you have an opportunity to continue this evolution of the, uh, the thought out in the community is let the leaders know. In fact, let your leaders know that you would love to see their humanity and it's okay for them to fall short. It's okay for them to make mistakes. Don't put them on a pedestal and, and feel like they're not going to make mistakes. They are. Every single leader is going to make mistakes. So are you. So am I. It's human. You're like the elephant in the room for that. Um, and I would, I know we only have like three minutes left, but especially through the nature of my work, the elephant in the room is that there are a lot of personality disorders in the executive sphere. They're like the number two, I think it is, was like job for sociopaths is CEO. And as somebody who works often with the C-suite in a very intimate capacity as their ghostwriter, it is absolutely staggering how much narcissism and sociopathy is in the C-suite and being vulnerable with them is like showing your soft underbelly to a tiger and they will destroy you. And so that's the kind of thing where I think it would also be awesome for you guys to teach the uh, skills to be able to recognize that because these people will fucking destroy you. I have made that mistake in my in-house career where you're like, oh, I'm just more bullet. Oh, bye. And they're just eating it up and then they push you off a cliff. Would love thoughts on that. Uh, Kirsten, give us give us those names. That's the kind of people we're looking to work with, right? Oh man, oh, under your furls. It's like we, we love her. That's why we do what we do, and we know this. We get approached by employees all the time. We love what you do, but how do we take it up? And that's exactly the conversations we're having with people. And we understand that. That's why we do what we do. And it is a slow moving turtle, like a molasses way of doing it. But boy, it's, it's shifting. It's shifting fast. I know I just said opposites. It is shifting fast, but it's a slow-moving way of doing it. These people, they get it. They know there's something wrong. They know that something's not working for them. They're aware of it. They just don't know what it is. And more conversations like this, more people like ourselves in this room can talk louder about this and just share it. People are getting it. We have to remember that they didn't get there overnight. You know, narcissism, sociopathy, it's all, always reactionary. It's causing an effect in their own childhood and their own life. And so oh, they're not going to get back overnight either. Right, so, right. It is a tough one. Well, hey, it is uh, top of the hour. Uh, I'm going to leave you all with this thought. Maybe a challenge is to take that emotions wheel and put it in the practice this week. There's a journal inside that uh, handout. Uh, whenever you feel something visceral, take a moment, pause. Jot down that stimuli, work yourself through that process and see if you can't further identify what the actual raw emotion is. Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. 
That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.